outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Journey. Wayne, I had I had my first very awkward experience in the classroom today. You did? I forgot what class I was in. Okay. <laughs> As the teacher. <laughs> what class were you in? I was in my counseling skills class and had in my head that I was in my marriage and family class. So I literally pulled up the wrong PowerPoint and I was going through an assignment. And I was like, wait a minute, that that doesn't sound quite right, but I'm just going through, going on with the assignment. And then I'm announcing that they are not going to have class on Thursday. And this is what we're going to be doing. And then it hits me. Uh, this is not the right class. This is a completely different class. And uh, everything that I just said was um, not accurate. How so, long were you in this before you realized it? About five minutes into it, of my intro of my lecture. And none of your students figured it out. Well, one of my students that was the one that threw it off and I was giving her a hard time because she's in both of my classes and she sits in the exact same spot in the exact same classroom in both classes. And so I was giving her a hard time because I was like, dang it, like you, you threw it off. I saw you sitting there in the desk and I thought I was in my afternoon class instead of my morning class. And they were very confused as how the assignment associated with what we were learning and counseling skills that day. It was a very interesting experience to say the least. Wow. Not getting enough sleep? No, actually, no. <laughs> um, sadly, our daughters are kind of going through some pretty intense sleep regression. And so I've been... Again? Yeah. Almost yeah, every week you've got something with sick kids or hospitalized kids or something compromising your sleep. Oh, it is the life of a toddler parent. Uh, any toddler parent out there listening to this is fully aware of what I'm referring to. It just, man, they have sleep regressions or one of them will be fine. And then the other one's going to be having nightmares or whatever it might be. But yeah, not about four hours. Sleep regression. Night. That's not one of the terms we used back when I was a toddler parent in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I was, I was going to give you a very hard time about being a boomer on that statement, but I think I'll leave it be. <laughs> oh, I don't mind. I don't mind. We screwed up the world for the rest of you and just looking forward to stay together till we get out. <laughs> okay it just it just needs to hold together the seams until all the boomers are gone and then and then it can implode of course <laughs> so best thing you heard this week no no i'm wayne jacobson and i'm kyle rice <laughs> i don't really know that i have a best thing i heard this week i had a very confusing thing i heard this week okay in view of our discussion last week about love and control i saw this quote the one who loves least controls the relationship Ooh, okay. Yeah, I kind of went, ooh, I like that when I read it. And then I went, okay. I, I think I'd like it better if it said the one who loves least tries to control the relationship. Yes. Because they're not settled in love. So they've always got to try. Correct. But if you love someone a lot, deeply, you're not going to give in to that control all the time. Yeah. You're not. That's where healthy boundaries start to come in. And that's where wholeheartedness comes in to play and not falling into the manipulation of that control. I, on one side of it. Yeah. When we think about yeah. the control aspect of it, I, I was thinking too, cause I used this last week with somebody I was talking to who's in a relationship that's imbalanced in terms of the depth of faith inside the okay. relationship. 
And Paul talks about that in Romans 13 and 14. He talks about those who are weaker or stronger in the faith, and those who are stronger give way to the weaker. And he says some stuff that's pretty amazing if you try to put Christianity into an institutional box, because how do we ever let those who are weaker have control over those that are stronger? But that's what he's actually saying, you Mm. who are strong in the faith. What it's saying is the more freedom you genuinely have in Christ, the more you can make room for people who have a weaker freedom have weaker faith. Hmm. And I think that's true. I think that's I think it's wonderfully insightful stuff. But I don't think it's about control. I don't think it means then those who are weaker in the faith get to control those who are stronger. I think it's just saying if you're stronger in faith genuinely, you have more space to accommodate the weaknesses around you. Hmm. And if you're weak in the faith, you don't have much you don't have much to accommodate anything. You, you're just going for survival and trying to get all your ducks in a row. And if people don't do what make you happy, then you just get mad and angry. But so I, th- that hmm. quote caused me to think through a lot of things which were interesting given our, our conversation last week. Yeah, I like that. That's really intriguing. I, when you were talking about the idea of having more space for people who are younger in the faith or who are weaker in the faith, my my initial internal reaction was, Oh, I don't want to have to put up with that. <laughs> so then I was like, "Oh, I, I don't. Maybe I don't have as much space as I thought I did." Oh, you're you're young yet. <laughs> I, that, that's fair. I, but I don't know. I, there, there's that tension between yes, there, there's grace, like having patience, being curious. Then there's the difference of dealing with the people who they're not looking for change; they're looking to to get you on board that you're you're one of their ducks that's out of the row and they're going to force you back into the row because if they can't then their faith is disgruntled there as my brother-in-law would say somebody messed with my wheel of cheese and now it's out of balance <laughs> okay that's one way to look at it <laughs> but i'm not sure that's what paul's dealing with in terms of letting them have control then it's certainly those that are weak in faith don't have the space to manage truth. Yeah. I think yeah. God, sometimes I'll, I'll bring the truth in a little bit slowly here so you can have time to adjust to it. <laughs> uh, but those certainly who have a depth of faith can walk alongside people who don't see it yet, who realize mm. they don't yeah. have the capacity to respond right now to whatever it is that may be helpful to them. And so yeah. they're going to be doing things that are somewhat hurtful. And if you don't keep loving alongside them, then no one's there to help them explore it when they get there. But it certainly is not the panicked attempts to control by a faithless person is, is going to let that control the relationship. Because I think people who are grounded are going to say, oh, stop a minute. I love you. I care about you. I'm not going to go down that road with you. If that, if that road's required then yeah. we're not going to we're not going to have much of a friendship and i find language like that really wakes people up it's not i'm not trying to control you i'm not trying to make you do what i want but neither are you going to get to push me to what you want hmm. and i thought when i was thinking about this quote honestly i was thinking about when we wrote so you don't want church anymore and the whole idea of jake not able to control the relationship with john that he so desperately wants to control just even yes. by making appointments and when can I see you next? And and the Holy Spirit, who's a John type in the book, they just he he visits when he's ready to visit. He has stuff when it's time for us to hear. And there is something about our walking with God that is that really we learn very early on. This is a relationship you won't control. He's not controlling yeah. you either, but you don't get to control him. 
you need to find a way to follow, to explore, to learn, to grow. And that, that was all hmm. my thinking from one silly little quote. What about you? Best thing you heard this week? The best thing that I heard this week was I walked in from a very long day at work and it was a great day, but a very full day of work. And my two daughters come running into the living room. Both of them are just wearing diapers and they jump into my arms and say, daddy, will you silly dance with us? And that was, that was a great way to come home. So did you put on your diaper and silly dance with them? No diaper, sans diaper, but silly dance, yes. Uh, we cranked up the music and we silly danced and had a great time to walk in. And there was a lot of cares and concerns of other people that I had been kind of navigating that day. And to walk in and see the carefree, unrestricted, daddy, will you silly dance with us? And in the past, especially when I was pretty overwhelmed with mental health counseling stuff and, mm -hmm. and feeling really drained in that space. I don't know if I would have responded with a absolutely. Yes. I will silly dance with you. I don't think I would, I would have missed that moment. I would have been tired enough or drained enough that I would have missed that moment and not felt like I had the capacity to engage with them and that to be able to sit there and enjoy that with them and to be able to enjoy that with both my daughters alive and healthy was pretty amazing. So is there a video of this? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't looked at my wife's phone. There is very possibly a secret video that has been recorded. Wow, something to post at the God Journey, maybe, huh? <laughs> I, hmm, I will. I will have to have a conversation with my wife about that. <laughs> okay. Last week we did going back to the control and love thing. We did talk about that last week. That love is mm -hmm. the opposite of control. And I got this from. I think it's Jamuk. I'm not sure the name. He's from Nigeria. Interestingly enough, that was the top place to be murdered as a Christian. But last time on our little list of uh, rogue states, but he's not living there. He's Canada, I think now. He okay. said, I have continued to be impacted by your beautiful God journey over the past decade or more. From today's podcast, I wanted to share a couple thoughts, please. Number one, how can I love my teenage daughter well without getting involved with anything that looks like control? She has struggles mm. with time management. That often makes her late for school. I tried everything from encouragement to assisting her with meal prepping, et cetera. Nothing worked until I decided to take her away her telephone. She was petrified of zero access to social media, music, et cetera, et cetera, and fell in line immediately, getting up early enough not to be so late so she would have her phone. This sounds like the control that's the antithesis of love. How can I help my daughter become the best version of herself with pure, unadulterated love? Is it possible that human brokenness has made us need control to some degree? So, Mr. Oof. Mental Health Expert, <laughs> you got anything that's going to help him process that? Oh, gosh. The challenge is I have my mental health expert response, <laughs> and I have my currently an active dad response, and both of those are a little different from one another because my mental health response would be along the lines of, helping well especially as a as a teenager you're wanting to help them start to develop their own sense of self and what does that look like and managing free will managing choice and as a parent their freedom or their ability to make wise choices and this is something i'm very much still learning it grows as they develop in age as they develop in maturity etc and so 
my ability of for my daughters at two and four to make choice in comparison to my daughter or a daughter at 15, 16 to be able to make choices is a different level of capacity. There would be some definite dialogue that I would want to have with teenage daughter or teenage child of, okay, what is, what does this look like? Because I don't want to get into control. However, helping them manage the choice versus real world expectations. What are the real world consequences of the choices that you are making and how does that impact? Because a lot of parents I work with, that's the conversation is, okay, well, if I don't have any kind of disciplinary ability, then what do I do? Where do I go from here? And usually ask, okay, so what about the real life consequences to making that decision? Oh, well, I remove those. I take those out of the way. I shelter them from them. I eliminate them. I solve it for them. It's like, okay, then how is that helping prepare them for that real world adulting process where they have to make decisions? They have to take accountability for choices. They have to experience real life consequences that that may or may not be enjoyable. And so often there's this uh there's this desire to want to change behavior, but then they remove all of the very real natural consequences that would occur if that person was allowed the freedom of choice. Well, so your thought, would would you let her have the consequences of not making it to school on time, eventually getting kicked out of school, what all that, because she, she can't get out of bed in time to get ready for school? Is that is that a real life consequence that you're talking about? Potentially, because if she is... Like if I was a parent in that situation, I like one potential option could be calling the school district and saying, okay, I have done this, this, and this to help prepare my daughter to be able to get out of bed. If she still is late for school or doesn't make it to school, then she needs to either make up the work. She needs to have a detention. She needs to go through, you know, whatever, whatever the school disciplinary action would be to have that occur versus the parent calling in and saying, um, my daughter's late. Can you excuse her, please? I'll be in in a little while. Oh, definitely get that. Yeah. Yeah. What I thought about with this was it's probably not the best. When we talk about love and control, we're really talking about mature human relationships. Yes. Yeah, we're not necessarily talking about parenting. Parenting is a very different Correct. field where, yes, there is some control, particularly at younger ages. So I wouldn't say that, does this look like control? It may look like it, but not if this is what your daughter wants. If your daughter wants to be on time, wants to do well at school, and I probably would have had the conversation, it looks like to get there, we're going to have to say, if you don't get up and get to school on time, you're going to lose your phone for a day or a week mm -hmm. or whatever. So there's a real-world consequence that you've made up before the school gets to apply theirs that may affect their education. Yep. And I see, I see putting consequences as a form of discipline as a fair thing. Mm -hmm. Now I would think a controlling parent would be like you talked about going down to the school, mitigating every, the helicopter lawnmower kind of parent that's trying to force, make a way for their child to have it easy and get through without facing challenges and difficulties. To me, that's the controlling kind of parent that I mm -hmm. think is harmful. This, I, I wouldn't think, man, that's not a big deal. If she doesn't do this, then I think you've got what you've got left is the real world consequence where you get out, drop out of school, when you just get expelled. I mean, some of those are you're making lifelong choices that a child at 15, 16 can't realize they're making. So, oh, yeah, I don't want to go to school. That'd be great anyway. But then you're going to end up. What? What's your future look like if you haven't learned? 
So I think something like the book, um, Loving Your Kids on Purpose, is a great tool, how to use consequences, not a, in a controlling way, but just to bring fair consequence to poor decisions, because that's what you want them to learn. So I, I think that does make sense. Second question, is there a healthy way to surrender control to God rather than wish he would puppeteer us every now and again in a way that makes us more alive to the power of love? Scripture comes to mm. mind, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Hmm. And I, as I read that, I, I'm thinking, you know what? Surrendering to God is always good in the sense that, man, I'm, I accept your will and your desire for my life, and I'm, I'm going to seek to follow that as best I can. Where I don't and consequences hit, um, then I'm going to realize what's going on there. And I think we're back to the same kind of thing. But surrendering control to God, not as a puppeteer, as he says, it's not that. Mm -hmm. Surrendering control to God is just, I want to live inside your love and live the way you see the world. And my choices would more dovetail with that breath of the Spirit flowing through my life than me just always doing what I think is best, or worse yet, trying to use my prayer life to get you to do what I think is best, <laughs> which always ends in disaster. So... I think what he's really advised into is this mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. If I can get my heart set on who is the Spirit in my life today, what is he doing, and where does his breath blow, and and look to follow that as best I see him, at the same time, not just sitting on my couch until the Spirit moves, you know, getting up and meet your responsibilities and do the things you need to do on a given day. At the same time, you're looking for how does the breath of the Spirit blow around this? But it also would, I think, not get demanding of God in prayer, which is something I think as we're immature, we do all the time. We we think prayers are a way to manipulate God. So doggone mm. it, I'm, I'm trying to demand of God that he give it to me my way is just a huge mistake, but one that will bear real life consequences pretty fast if those things don't happen. Oh, and I... I'm thinking about, so his second question, I'm thinking about it in reference to the first and thinking about like the context of how do you navigate this or what would you, how would you navigate a situation like this with a child in the context of, okay, Lord, I, how do I navigate this? What does your, what is your inclination? What does your nudge look like? What is your wisdom here in this and trying to follow through that? But one of the really big challenges with that is especially with parents that I work with a lot, they're surrendering the control of other people's perceptions of them. Because a lot of parents that I work with, and myself in, in my own learning to be a parent and parenting my daughters has been, okay, is this about me or is this about my daughters? Is this about my own appearance, my own expectations, what other people are going to think about me and the way that they're going to respond? Mm -hmm. Or is this about me loving them to the best of my capacity and allowing God to take care of the rest, me following those nudges, me trying to hold true to what I feel like God is calling me to do and how to steward this thing that he's entrusted me to do. And that's to parent and equip a young person to become the most wholehearted version of themselves in the world. And so, man, to, to let go of a lot of the external pressures and controls of that and surrender that process to father and say, Lord, I, I want to walk with you in this. And I know that that might not look socially acceptable or that might not look traditional or that might not meet the expectations of my former family system. But I want your wisdom and truth to not only be a part of my life, but what does that look like in surrendering and walking through this thing called parenting? What is what does your kingdom look like? And what is life, a life loved by Christ and filled with that 
rest, love, and play look like in the context of guiding and and preparing another generation? And I think that's something you just, you learn in the trenches, right? You don't learn it by yeah, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> some kind of conceptual basis to do it. But uh, overall, I think I think the questions here are really good. I thought they were a good follow-up to what we talked about. And this, this whole issue of control versus love is a fascinating one. I have a lot of conversations last week about it because it does seem like, as some people hear, if you really love somebody in the old religious sense, you seek to do what's best for them or make them do what's best for them. It's, It's got control imprinted all over it. And uh, it doesn't endear people to God. It pushes them away, actually, and letting people find their way. It says raise a child in the way they should go. It didn't say control a child in the way you think they should be. It just says raise them in a way that they'll they'll understand a way to go, which is different. Yeah, and that that isn't a complete elimination of boundaries, nope. right? That's not a right. that's not a pulling of the guardrails and saying, okay, just go and you know run about however you want. Yeah, like good luck, you know that that's not a loving experience either. And it's interesting because as we're talking about this, I'm actually reflecting back to a a blog that you wrote on unmerited rejection, and. There's a there's a section in it. So talking about resisting anger, and you're talking about uh, I used to think that the prayers for sins and ignorance, but the Pharisees were not ignorant of the fact that they were having an innocent man executed. That's why they had to lie about him. No, this prayer is not for the people that are ignorant or bad actions, but for those who can't see God in the face of their own agenda. And I feel like it ties back into that idea of control again, because we have this idea, we have this agenda, we have this perspective of where we're going, right? And I mean, I think of how many times I've had this agenda or perspective of this is where I'm going with our life, or this is where I have to go. And so then as a result of that, I'm controlling it according to my agenda and completely missing father's heart right in front of me. <laughs> you know, like the, Oh gosh, daddy forgive Kyle. He has no freaking clue what he's doing right now. And, and largely not out of, not out of ignorance in the fact that I didn't know that I wasn't, that the things that I were doing at times weren't not great. They weren't bad. It was the missing of father's heart in that. It was the, no, I have to do this in order to control this so that I get my agenda instead of being at rest with who he is. And ah, I don't know. It just, is an interesting tie. It is, because I don't think, when you look at the Pharisees, uh, other religious leaders who are out to get Jesus here, they, in their minds, they're not out to kill the Messiah. Correct. <laughs> they haven't figured out who he is. They really reject the idea that God would be in human flesh, and, and Jesus made statements they thought were blasphemous, and we got to kill this guy to preserve our culture. To yes. preserve the Romans are going to, uh, some guy's setting him up to be a king, then we're going to be in trouble with the Romans. And we don't like this guy anyway, because he's, again, we don't like him because he's much nicer than we are. He's healing sick. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. So they, they didn't like him from a number of reasons, but their agenda was not, there is, it wasn't to or want to kill the Messiah and work against God. And this ought to be a cautionary tale to any of us who are passionate about God's thing, thinking we recognize it best and we know it and we're gonna we can force our will. And if they would just have learned not to control Jesus' journey by killing him, it might have helped a bit. But that's been really profound for me in learning to forgive others, is realizing 
the agenda or even the effects of their behavior may not be their desire. Mm. So they're real disconnected between what they're trying to accomplish and what they actually accomplish. And that's why yeah. Jesus is able to say, Father, they don't know what they're doing. And they really didn't. And I think yeah. that's true mostly of, of sin in our lives and failure is that we, we want good things. We just don't see how those good things can happen without us manipulating other people and hurting other people to try and get there. That's one of the things that really amazes me about Father's heart and just what, reading about the life of Jesus is there was a lot, his life was saturated with unmerited rejection and he didn't try to control it. He could have. I mean, there was a lot of ways that he, I mean, he had a lot of cards that he could have played in order to turn that rejection on its head or to prove it wrong or to pull an I told you so or to just completely um, destroy the person that was for, was sending them the rejection. And yet, I don't see an instance where he is, where he's reaching out and controlling it and defending himself. Do you? Yeah, and that to me was the most encouraging thing to me. The blogs you're referring to, actually were three of them, uh, the last lesson my father taught me. It's one article told in three parts because it's long, and not yeah. everyone here may know. The, the last couple of years of my dad's life was a man I've respected, deeply admired through the whole of my life, gets filled with some lies about me that causes him to completely reject me with an endless series of accusations that weren't even remotely true. Accusations that he could have called some people to find out if he didn't trust what I was telling him, but he refused to do that. And my encouragement all along was, okay, this is the road Jesus took. Mm. Surprisingly, he's the one 30 years before, after the problem with the church I was at, where I, I was resigned while I was out of town one day, he'd given me that scripture, blessed are you when men lie about you, insult you, and exclude you. Mm. And I just, and he said, you need to count this a blessing. And I'm going, and I learned to do that. I really did from that experience. I never thought yeah. I'd apply that to my own father, who mm. maybe because of age and maybe because of limitations, certainly because people around him were lying to him, but he chose to believe it. If there's a choosing in there, or he was convinced somehow or wanted something so bad, the truth was risky to him. And finding my way through that was, because there are times when, I mean, there, there was such a risk at one point that could I have exercised some legal means to help the truth come to bear on my dad for, for his health considerations, not for anything yeah. I needed from him, but because yeah. people around him weren't giving him the truth. Um, and I just felt like God said, leave it to me, walk away. You've mm -hmm. got more important things to deal with. And I couldn't imagine anything more important than the, about the loss of relationship with my dad than I would the loss of relationship with my wife, which happened eight months later. So yeah. the first really prepared me for the second. And that resisting anger, when, when the thing happened with Sarah, I didn't even have anger to resist. I certainly did in the first mm. case. Yeah. Uh, in the second case, it wasn't, it wasn't anger. It was my baby's lost somehow. Something's happened to her that, and I didn't, at all think it would be trauma from childhood. It just something has happened. She's had some kind of psychological break that no one around her is aware of. So mm. everyone's enabling this break and no one's letting me know till it's too late. And she's completely cut off all contact. And yet I, I had the space to get inside that and say, okay, Jesus, you have a way through this. And not going toward anger, 
not going toward vengeance, even towards the people who lied to my wife, which may have been a well-meaning but misguided therapist. Uh, and I did have some angry moments there, but I'd never had them at Sarah. Once I found out what was going on, I had some angry moments there. But with Sarah, yeah. it was, okay, something's wrong, and God's reassuring me. And part of that is, and I think I posted this in my blog today about a reading coming up for the, the He Loves Me in the discussion this weekend. But that Jesus, who, like you said, had all the cards to play. I mean, you could call a legion of angels. He could have drowned Pilate in what's true and exposed <laughs> all the lies that other people were telling and he chooses not to because he has a better, he has a greater mission than getting out of this. And he knows it. This is the course Father had for him. So even if lies were going to be the guardrails on this journey, he hmm. was not going to subvert that. And I, I mean, that takes a, a level of faith and confidence in God's leading that is huge to be able to go, yeah. I could save myself from this, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go down with what was for Jesus an incredibly humiliating, painful road for the redemption of humanity. So there was a greater agenda involved. And when you don't see God's agenda, all you can see is your own comfort and your own what you think you need out of a situation. I think that's when we're least able to sense, discern, and follow whatever he would lead us. I walked with you through some of the elements that went on with your dad and then not just some, <laughs> most of them, not all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Poor Kyle's phone burned it up. Fortunately, you had two hour commutes back then. So we had plenty of time. To, I know we had lots way. of time to talk. <laughs> no, but I just, I remember thinking back and, and even as I reread through your blog post, the thing, one of the things that came up is, or what would it have looked like if you would have given into it? Right. If you would have given in to the accusations or you would have given in to the the direction or the the manipulation that was coming from not just your dad, but some other family members and some situation stuff that was going on. What would that have looked like if you would have succumbed to that? If you would have been like, OK, for the sake of my relationship with my dad, I'm going to accept the accusations, even if they're not real, even if they're not true. I'm going to accept them just so that I'm in relationship with him. What would that have done? I Interesting thought. Um, I don't consider you have a relationship if it's not found on what's true. Could you just, oh, dad, you're right. You caught me. I was going to force you to move down to LA. I was trying to steal your money. I was trying to, <laughs> then I don't think he learns anything. I think particularly I thought his health care was at risk because the mm -hmm. doctor was telling me someone's obstructing his medical care and that person got my dad to think it was me, and he said, it's not you at all. And I knew it wasn't because I'd never offered any advice for dad's medical care. And the other person did three major things the doctor told me he didn't want done and did those. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like dad deserved the truth. If he still wanted to choose to go with this woman, then go with that woman. But yeah. you at least need to know what you're choosing. And yeah. he was just so in trying to tell him what's true. And then watching how agitated he got, and I, I, I couldn't even figure out how to find a way into a relationship that's not based on what's true. Now, I have relationships with people where I don't think they know everything, and, and, it, and it's okay, but they're also not bashing you. They're also not being destructive to you. So I know from the very start, I felt like God just say, walk away from this and put it in my hands. And then mm -hmm. when I felt like he said that about Sarah— I will bring her back to you. 
I, I, it, there was easier to go. And it was weird because in doing it with my dad, that relationship didn't come back before he died. He, he died very mm. angry at me and convinced I was going to hell and was filled with demons. And I was a complete fraud. That, that's my last conversation with him. So I don't know why when it came from Sarah, okay, I'm going to trust this to you because it didn't work out well the first time. Except if you read the article, there's a lot of stuff I learned in that whole journey. And there's a reunion I have with my dad that God gave me in a vision that I feel like is just, it's rich and deep and enduring. So I guess it did turn out well, but it hadn't finished by the time it started with Sarah. So why I was yeah. so willing to go, okay, it's yours. I don't know. But there was the space not to control my dad or the people around him. And there wasn't the need to control Sarah when this happened. It was, if this happened, if this comes back, it will come back because of God's work and their response, not because Wayne is forcing it to happen. And there is a comfort in that. There's a comfort in realizing I'm not in control of the world, even my little part of the world. I'm just not. It's interesting that you say that, though, because... I've observed and worked with people in situations in which the idea that if the relationship is not based on what's true, then I don't, I don't want to, I don't know how to do relationship on if it's not based on what's true. Mm. And yet a lot of people, they're willing to step into the illusion. They're willing to step into the delusion because of their desire to have relationship with that person and literally putting themselves in positions where they're getting diminished they're they are the the punching bag of the accusations but their need or longing to be tied into that relationship and what they hope the aspiration of what that relationship could be or would be is enough to position them in a space where they're living in a place where they have to cognitively disconnect from the things that aren't accurate or the disconnects that are there or the, the misconceptions just for the sake of being in that relationship. And I'd be interested to know what's driving that. Is it just the need, I love this person so much that I'm willing to be with them and be a whipping post? Or is it, do I need this relationship so bad because of my insecurities and because of need inside of me that I'm willing to be treated like trash so that I don't risk destroying the relationship? And I consider that I didn't destroy this relationship. I kept my heart open to it every day I breathed. I, I, it wasn't destroyed yeah. from my side, which to me really helps understand what God faced in the world. The relationship was never broken from his side. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Those that pushed the son away, it, mm. it's broken from hu humans' side. It's our failure, our shame because of sin. Our, we've broken the relationship. God might be our enemy, but we're not his, and we never were. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, that's helped me understand so much. This whole process of unmerited rejection has taken me to a very deep place in my heart. It wasn't just, oh, well, Jesus has been through this. So I'm going to go through it too. It opened <laughs> my eyes to things about God and his love for me and what it is to live inside the rejection of people you love. And for Jesus, it was not just those who executed him. It's the betrayal of his friends, the ones that the closest ones to him that ran or, or denied him or whatever. He he knew what it was to be all alone with God and overnight in the dark hole underneath Caiaphas's house. He knows that space. And there's something very redemptive about 
living in that space with him when you maybe could fix it, but choose not to, mm. and not need the relationship so much that you're willing to debase yourself to make something happen. And I think in, particularly if, we, if you want to go to the extreme of, of battered relationships, battered spouses, whatever, I need yeah. this relationship so bad, I'm going to give him a pass every time yeah. he does it. And there's something not whole about that. It's not like that's a really Correct. whole place. I'm going to love somebody and get the crud beat out of me every day. That's just not a place. Yeah. And I made very clear to my dad throughout, dad, I love you. If we ever get back to something as tender and kind, even if we see things differently, I'm in. But if it's going to be, I've got to apologize for something I didn't do. I don't have that. Whatever it takes to pretend something so absurdly untrue, I've never had that. <laughs> Not to save any relationship. I just never had it. I don't know what it is. That's one of the things that just leaves me baffled about Father's heart, though, is the fact that he is able to walk through that with us and untangle that with us. Because, man, I think of the ways that I thought of him, the ways that I rejected him, the anger that I projected at him, the ways that I tried to twist our relationship or saw our relationship as twisted. I I don't, I, to this day, I'm still blown away and still a little confused by how he was able to untangle that and is still untangling that. Because... Mm -hmm. You know, just as you what you described as far as it being based on the truth and not succumbing to that, be having your heart open to being willing to step back into relationship, but but not forcing it into that existence or demanding that it happen. Man, I just think about Father, what does that take in in the context of my life, my heart, my journey with you, and some of the very twisted, skewed perspectives that I've had of you? And the way that I've done relationship with you, how have you, how have you not created your own healthy relational boundaries towards me to the sub to the point that it's hard for you to even keep your heart open to me? Like his capacity is mind blowing to me. I guess that's the that's the simple version of it. Is his capacity is mind blowing to me? It is his capacity. I'd say much more than mine. I mean, I yeah. I, I was shaped for this moment, and I think primarily for Sarah's moment to be the redemptive influence in her life uh, when I had been rejected by lies. She'd been told about me by a therapist who didn't know the truth, but made up stuff. Yeah. And to be in her life right now, I haven't, I haven't done anything in my life more fulfilling, more rewarding, more, more grateful than this. And if some of these other things prepped me for this moment, somebody said to me the other day, after going through the betrayal at the church and then the, the writing legal issues and this and that, and then mm -hmm. mom, and then, yeah. I don't want to be standing near you in a lightning storm. And <laughs> I was like, I hear you, dude. But I'm going to come find you. I'm going to run stand by you just so, you know. I, it was a hard, this is the hardest thing I've ever written, to be honest. And yeah. it took a long time to write it because I didn't want it to be an expose of my dad kind of thing or destroy his legacy. And I, I think I tried to be very careful to say my dad was, a, was an amazing man all of his life. And whether yeah. it was dementia or just whatever caught up with him at this point of his life uh, caused some painful stuff. But I really felt like it was a story God wanted me to tell. And my email back has been incredibly amazing. This story of unmerited rejection is not unique to me. It's endemic to the race. That's the word I'm looking for, endemic to the race. 
and relationships go bad, particularly in religious settings, the kind of rejection that happens between parents and kids. And Jesus said that, right? The gospel will divide parents and kids. You wouldn't think it would be a Christian parent. To a, I always thought it was a Christian and unchristian. Just the, the nature yeah. of truth is divisive as much as it's loving. And it was worth telling the story just to get some of these back of people just saying, man, it's an important story to tell. We've been through similar things with family to uh, it just as difficult as it was. But I, what I want people to know, I think from the, from the blogs is unmerited rejection, instead of being this hurtful thing we ought to run from and hide and feel humiliated about, it is a fertile field for God to grow stuff in your heart that will bear fruit in ways you can't imagine. And that's what I hope people take away from it. It yeah. did that with Jesus, obviously. And it can do that with us too, that it's a fertile place. Blessed are you when people lie, insult, and exclude. And to me, that's exactly what my family did. They lied, they insulted, and excluded me. Okay, well now I'm blessed. I've got, and that's not just consider yourself blessed. They're really blessing inside of that. If you can navigate that with the spirit and not let anger or vengeance or bitterness creep in. And I guess starting out, you just can't have the need that I need this relationship so bad, I'm willing to become a shadow of myself to preserve it. Because yeah. that's that won't work in the long run. And what's more, I, I, I can't wait for the next time my dad and I sit down and chat. And I, it'd be mm. great if Jesus is right there in the middle of it, but man, it's <laughs> going to be awesome. He's going to know what's true. And I will too. I'll know my part in it. Maybe that I don't see well. Yeah. But yeah. we'll get to sit down and celebrate the 68 years I had with him that were absolutely a rock in my life. And I'll appreciate it. This is very different than somebody who grew up with an abusive dad or, a, uh, yeah. you know, some kind of person who their whole life degraded them and debased them. I didn't have that. I had a father who was encouraging, walked alongside. We shared a lot of stuff together. And then for whatever reason, this thing was sidetracked at its end. And I think I know why. And I was powerless to fix it. You can't force the yeah. truth on people who love a lie, who don't want the mm. truth to be the truth. And so then you just accept the consequence and realize God has a million ways to make it up to you. I think one of the things that just stands out to me was how much more excruciating did it have to be or was it for you to have decades of very, very rich relationship, and then to have that to change. The earlier stages of my dad's and I's relationship were more excruciating, and now they've moved into this wonderful space that I love and respect and am so thankful for. You know, I've experienced the the moments of feeling fatherless and, and the pain and the impact of that, and am enjoying a season where I have more of that that relationship and that that blessing in my life now through an earthly human perspective, not just through um, a spiritual perspective. And I guess that was the thing that really stood out to me was like the impact when you when you wrote that it was I was fatherless and it was excruciating. That like landed for me in a different way. Hmm. I was like, man, that was 60 plus years of rich relationship. And then to have the rejection come in at the end. Yeah, but I in, in trauma talk or trauma help kind of talk, at 68 years in, I've got a ton of agency to handle it. 
that a two, sure. three-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old doesn't have. And I, I, I was very aware of that. I, I didn't say everything in this article in terms of because there are ways, there were things to say that I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to word them that wouldn't be more offensive than what I already wrote to some folks. Yeah. But there were ways that God spoke to me even before this happened where it didn't surprise me when it happened. Mm-hmm. And I already had the agency as to how to put this inside of him. And so to me... The 68 years I had with him prepared me for the two years I didn't. Yeah. Negotiating, yes. I lost a valuable voice in my life, but I have other valuable voices. I have even other father-type figures in my life have had that have inspired me in wonderful ways as well. So. Hmm. I could could bear that for my dad. And in some ways, it's like I bared Sarah's hurt for her. I bore some of dad's pain for him. Yeah. And somehow in eternity, that will make a lot more sense than it does talking about it today. Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 